If you have a Bible, turn with me to Amos, the book of Amos. We're going to be looking at chapter 8. Remember to find the minor prophets, which sometimes are only normally a couple of pages long. They can be hard to find. Go to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi. Work backwards, you'll eventually run into it. If you have a pew Bible you're using, turn to page 769. It's printed in the bulletin. It will also be on the screen behind me this morning. We are in Advent season. And Advent um, and Christmas season means we support, or we support, uh, we, we talk a lot about um, the incarnation. What is the incarnation? God taking on flesh and coming into this world as a baby. Coming into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And so for the month of December, we're taking a break from Mark. And we're looking this Advent season at the minor prophets and looking at how they look forward to and anticipate Christmas. Anticipate the coming of the Messiah Jesus into this world. We've looked at Micah. We've looked at Hosea. This morning, we're looking at Amos. And just a heads up from the beginning. Um, This is characteristic of the prophets, but this is very strong this morning. Um, As I was getting into this this week, I thought, I've got to preach this. Uh, (laughs) That was not a fun thought. Um, But it is God's word for us today. And God, in, in Amos, and God will take us to our knees this morning through this passage. And just when we get to our knees, though, he will lift us up. Uh, he will show us the hope and the good news of Christmas. All the way through this, I want you to remember, God is trying to get Israel to see their need so that they will rejoice in the coming Messiah, and he's trying to get us to see our need so that we will rejoice this Christmas season like never before and be thankful for the salvation of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, follow along with me as I read Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is right for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. I told you it was vivid. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating the dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob I will never forget anything they have done. Then at the end, chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. 
and they shall rebuild and rebuild and the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let's pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to help us uh, this morning with this passage. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask you to do these two things at once. That through your spirit you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, receptive hearts that are soft to your word. Help us to be alert, to pay attention. Uh, And I pray that you would challenge us and convict us. But at the same time, you would not leave us there. That you would show us the goodness of Christ and the goodness of the gospel. And so challenge and convict, but also comfort. And we ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, there was an article in the Atlantic Monthly titled, Winton's Blues. Uh, And the writer of the article, or the reporter from the Atlantic, stumbled, this is what the article's about, he stumbled into a jazz club, an old jazz club in New York City, and to his surprise, uh, Winton Marsalis, the great famous jazz trumpet player, was in the band. Towards the end of the night, the band moves off stage and Morales Morales comes uh, and he is center stage and he's playing a trumpet solo. It was a ballad and he's playing it flawlessly and in the closing moments of the song, he's repeating the main melody, he's slowing it down, he's got one phrase left right before he closes it out and walks off stage to a standing ovation and right at the most dramatic point of the song that he is playing someone's cell phone goes off in the crowd silence goes through the crowd and the reporter from the Atlantic writes it and describes it like this he said the cell phone was a blaring rapid sing-song melody in electronic beeps everyone sat silently some laughing nervously others picking up their drinks and the writer of the article writes on a napkin in big all caps writes these words magic ruined and magic ruined is actually a good description of the people of God in the days of Amos the magical days of King David's rule and the blessing of God are gone In the eyes of the Lord, actually, everyone probably thought things appeared to be going well because Israel had actually won lots of battles. They had acquired lots of wealth and gained new territory, but their wealth and success had led them to apathy, had led them to idol worship, which led them to injustice and neglect the poor. And God couldn't take it anymore. And so God through the prophet Amos, goes and announces the judgment of God on the people of God. And that's the book of Amos in a nutshell. The book of Amos is a collection of the sermons and poems and visions that Amos spoke to the people of God. We all have our version, don't we, of magic ruined. Can't we all relate to that in some way? I buried a 44-year-old all-tech executive this week in this room. 
In the last three months, I've buried four men in their 40s, in the prime of their lives, in the peak of their career, beautiful families, leaving behind young children. And if you were to ask all of their wives, they most certainly would say, magic ruined. Some of you this morning have lost jobs that you loved dearly because of the economy. Others of you have had people you loved get diagnosed with a terminal illness. Some of you have had children walk away from the faith. You've seen your children, children being gripped by addiction. Some of you got married and you thought, I'm going, we're going to live happily ever after, and now you barely speak. Every time, uh, this time of year, some of you weep as you hear about families buying gifts for their children and the activity of a home on Christmas Day, and you weep because your home is empty, because you can't have children. And we could go on, couldn't we? We could go on with versions of magic ruined. And we think in moments like this, and in moments like I've described, is there anyone who can bring back the magic? Is there anyone who can come and fix the ruin and the brokenness of the world and make the sadness go away? Well, believe it or not, there is. In this passage, again, as dark as it is and as hard as it is, Amos, in the midst of the ruin and the sadness, gives us a glimmer of hope. And it's not Christmas lights, and it's not garland for our mantles, and it's not blow-ups for our front yard. God, through the prophet Amos, promises Christmas. He promises to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to repair and restore what is ruined and what is broken. Three things I want us to get from this passage this morning. I want us to see that this passage is a call for honesty about our own hearts. Secondly, it's a call for repentance. And as we're going to see, very specific repentance. And lastly, it's a call for faith and hope in Jesus. Honesty, repentance, and faith and hope in Jesus. So let's look at those three things. One, honesty. So Amos is a shepherd in Tekoa, and God calls him to be a prophet to northern Israel. And his job description, like all the other prophets, was to bring warnings to God's people about the coming judgment of God if they fail to repent. And in chapter 1, and I encourage you to go look at it, and you can flip there now or look at it later, but he takes that message, Amos, to the surrounding nations of Israel. So you'll see names like Judah and Gaza and Edom, Moab and Damascus. And they were, for the most part, enemies of God and enemies of Israel. And Amos is confronting those nations on their failure to obey God's law. What is God's law? How does Jesus summarize God's law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he was confronting them on their lack of love for God and their lack of love for neighbor. And you can just see uh, the people of God licking their chops, rubbing their hands, thinking, yes, go get them. Go get those filthy pagans, God. They're violent and they're unjust and they worship idols and other gods. 
And if you were to put out a map and look at all of the places that Amos takes his message and all of the places he names, you would see, if you were to map it out and plot it out on a map, that it is actually making a circle. Making a circle around, guess who? Israel. Around the people of God. They are the center of the bullseye. They are the center of the target. And Amos goes on to unleash, it's fascinating, to unleash a poem three times longer than any of the other things he says about the neighboring nations. In fact, the rest of the book is not dedicated to the enemies and to the pagans. It's dedicated to God's people and their sin. He's dealing not with the pagans and their issues, but the people of God and their issues. And it's brilliant if you think about it, what Amos is doing. He's getting the people of God to agree that the other nations around them are guilty and should be judged for their oppression and rebellion against God. And then he turns it on them on a dime. And he says, oh yeah, well you're actually worse, Israel, than the pagan nations around you. And here's an application question. Have we come face to face with what Amos is uh, calling the Israelites to see? Again, he's trying to get them to see their sin so that they'll run to him as their only hope. And God is trying to get us to see our sin so that we'll run to Jesus as our only hope. And what he's doing here is he is saying the reality of the problem is not out there that the reality of the problem is actually you. Let me ask it another way. What do you think or who do you think is the primary problem in your life or in the world? You know what I normally say? I normally go to things like it's the media or it's uh, the culture or we say things like uh, politics or we say things like corporate America Or we say things like, it's the sexually immoral. Or maybe for you, it's your spouse, you would say. Or it's your co-workers or your children. And God is saying very clearly here, it's not them, it's you. It's easy for us, isn't it? It's so easy for me. And it's easy for all of us to be blinded uh, by our own sin. We don't see ourselves objectively. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, why do you notice the speck of sawdust? This is what we do. The speck of sawdust in our brother or sister's eye, yet we ignore the plank in our own. And one of the gifts God gives his people is Amos. Do you have an Amos in your life? Do you have someone uh, who will speak the truth in love and help you see your blind spots? We've all got them. Better yet, do you have someone that would do that for you, that loves you enough, but at the same time, are you that for someone else? We need it because we are so prone. Think about Israel. They couldn't see it. And it took a prophet to help point it out to them, and they still didn't see it. We're so prone to blame our sin and failures on everyone else around us. And really the question of the sermon is will we listen? That's the question of Amos for the rest of the sermon. Is like, will we listen to Amos 
and will this land with us or will we say, I hope my spouse is listening? Or will we say, oh, I so wish so-and-so was here to hear this this morning? See, we got to get curious about our own hearts if we're ever going to understand Jesus. If we're ever going to get Christmas. we got to get curious and be honest about our own hearts and say, I am the biggest problem in all of my relationships, and I do not have the power to fix me. Only Jesus can fix me. It's when we get to that place that we will experience the rescue that we desperately need and the rescue that Jesus brings at Christmas. So that's the first point. This passage, it's strong, but it is calling us to an honest assessment of our own hearts. Just like he was calling Israel to an honest assessment of their hearts. And secondly, repentance, and very specific repentance, we'll see. Look at Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. There's this vision of the ripe fruit basket. And you're thinking, as you're hearing this, what could be more delightful than a ripe fruit basket? And yet God says that Israel is the the ripe fruit basket, and they are ripe indeed, ripe for judgment. And you see that very clearly. The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And then in verse 4 through 6, he goes on to give us the reasons he is bringing judgment against them. And he mentions two things. One of them is their neglect towards God and their lack of love and their apathy towards God. And we see that in verse 5a. So look at the first part of verse 5. When will the new moon, the new, that was a religious holiday, when will it be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? And so here's the picture. Outwardly religious. They observed the Sabbath. They observed, uh, they were here on Sunday mornings. Uh, they observed all the religious, religious holidays and celebrated them. They did not miss a one, but the entire time they're in their religious festivals and the entire time they're in their worship service, they're doing this number. When can I get out of here? When can I get on with making money? When can I get on with living my life? I've got places to go and people to see and things to do. In other words, they're giving lip service to God, uh, but their hearts are far from him. And the question is, how do we do this? Do we ever do that in worship? Uh, More specifically, what preoccupies your thoughts in worship? Is it God or is it something else? Tim Keller says that one of the ways that you can identify your real God is to look at what preoccupies your daydreams. Look at what preoccupies your thoughts. Again, strong, but this is the prophets, and so we should expect things like this. But here's what it's saying. This is saying that if your body is kneeling, if you're standing in worship, if your eyes are reading the Bible... Your mouth is going through uh, and reciting the liturgy and you're singing the songs, but your heart is always elsewhere, then God doesn't like that. In fact, we could even say he hates that. 
The other thing we see here in bringing the, that's bringing the judgment of God is not only the neglect and apathy towards God, but also we see here uh, the neglect for the poor. And again, I think this is important to point out, is Israel didn't, during this time was one of, in their, uh, a season of great prosperity. They were ga- gaining more land and winning battles uh, and uh, increasing their wealth. And so we would look at them and probably everyone around them and say, they've got it going on. God's with them. They must have God's favor. And yet God says, I'm coming to judge you for the ways that you're using your wealth and the ways that you're using your prosperity. And that's what he gets at at the second part of verse 5 and verse 6. Here's the picture to sum it up. The people, uh, through weighted scales, were misleading the buyers into thinking that what they were buying weighed more than it actually did. So they were actually making more money. And if that failed, then the merchants would include a little dirt uh, or a little weight in the bottom of the sack, the grain sack, so that it would not cost as much to fill the sack up with the good wheat in the grade A wheat. And so to summarize, they were greedy. They were selfish. And the people of God were actually robbing the poor in order to increase their wealth. And then the question is like, why does God care about this so much? Why would he make such a big deal? Well, because think about who God is. Think about Jesus. He came into this world without a penny to his name. And he died naked. And he had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. He had nothing. So God is poor. And so he identifies with the poor Uh, and the needy and he loves them and we see that and we could name a thousand verses in the scriptures to back that up and so he had these laws uh, about generosity and about how the people of God should treat the poor and they were to help the poor rather than take advantage of them and God is so upset by this look at verse 7 he's so upset that he says I will never forget anything that they have done and again, I think this needs, we need to keep coming back to this. This is not for the pagans. He's saying this to the people of God. And another reason why he's so serious about our treatment for the, for the poor, widow, orphan, and outcast is it because it is a reflection of God's love towards us. And so anytime we see someone that is in need, anytime we see an orphan or someone who is poor around us, it should be a mirror that reflects, reflects back on ourselves. Because think about the gospel. The very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? You were spiritually poor. Spiritually speaking, you didn't have a penny to your name. And God, through Christ, made you rich and gave you an inheritance that cannot be touched. Uh, think about it in terms of being an orphan. That's what the Bible says, that we are, spiritually, uh, or, we are spiritual orphans. And what does God do through Jesus? He brings us in. He brings us into his family. And what is the result? The result, and what, this is what God is getting at, is it should be open hands. 
and it should be generosity and compassion towards people who are less fortunate than us. And so, are you aware, economically and socially, of the needy people around you? Do we have time in our schedules to love and serve them? Are we generous with our resources that God has graciously lavished on us? And again, I've got to stay in this text all week, and so I'm preaching to myself, number one. Where do I need to repent? Where do we need to repent? This morning of what God is showing us. You see, compassion for the poor and generosity are sure signs that we are starting to grasp the gospel of grace in our lives. Lastly, y'all ready for some good news? Told you he was going to take us to our knees. But he ends with good news, with gospel hope, and that's what we see. Faith and hope is what this passage calls us to. So look at verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. It's interesting, 40 years after this prophecy, it became a reality. The people of God were judged by the Assyrian Empire exactly as Amos had predicted. Israel was conquered and they were hauled off to exile. Magic ruined. But thankfully, judgment and condemnation do not have the last word uh, in the book of Amos. It actually ends on a positive note and you'll see there chapter 9, this good news, this good word of a uh, future restorer and then he also gives us the picture of restoration so let's just walk through very briefly and then we'll close these few verses verse 11 something should sound very familiar to you in that verse because we've talked about him from the last three weeks in this church there's David again the booth of David And notice the words associated with this one coming in the line of David. Repair, raise up, rebuild. Always comes back to King David, a promised descendant of David who would come and bring the restoration and restore the world and what is wrong with it. And 750 years after this prophecy, it became a reality on Christmas Day. 750 years, think about that. The people of God most certainly thinking... um, God's not making good on his promise. God has forgotten us, and God did not forget us. When we were without hope, Christ came into the world and died for us. Jesus came not to bring the the judgment of God, but he came into the world to bear, in his first advent, to bear the judgment and wrath of God. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is Jesus bearing the judgment and wrath of God for our sins, more specifically for the ways we neglect God. You neglect God? For the ways that we neglect the poor. For those who are in Christ, this is why the gospel is such good news, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when God comes back and Jesus comes back a second time, if you are in Christ on that final judgment day, you will be safe and secure. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus came into this world to do more than just save your soul from sin. What he came to do is so much bigger than that. Jesus came 
to make this world in its entirety a new place, and he came to dwell with his people forever. And that's the picture we get in verses 13 and following. Look there with me. We see what this restoration that Jesus is bringing and how it's described. Verse 13, just briefly, it's a picture of abundance. That's the farmer imagery. The farmer who is plowing, there's a problem. He's plowing, ready to go for the next year, but they still haven't collected the harvest from the previous year. That's how abundant it is. And that's the same point with the imagery of the treader of the grapes. And then you see the results of the abundance will be mountaintops that will drip wine. What normally comes from the mountains? Cold water. And the new heavens and new earth, fine wine will be flowing from the mountains. And the point that Jesus is making, that Amos is making, is that what Jesus is bringing is so big and so rich, there will be no need and there will be no scarcity, only abundance. 15, or verse 14. Verse 13 focused on the abundance. Verse 14 focuses on the physical nature. Notice it there in verse 14. The physical nature of the restoration. We focus on Christmas and the incarnation. God becoming flesh. And that is so significant and important. God was born through the person of Jesus with a physical body. He was resurrected with a physical body. He will come again as a physical body. Jesus is bringing a very physical restoration of all things. We're often taught, or at least I was, that God's going to destroy this earth and we're going to be floating in clouds, playing harps and singing in a choir. That's not it. We're going to be here in a restored heaven, in a restored earth, in a new heavens and new earth. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. God is not making a completely different world, but he is making this world new. This world that he has made, he loves, and he's coming again, and he's going to do away with the curse as far as it is found. That's why we work. That's why we give and serve and we love God and love our neighbor, not to keep God off our back. One of the reasons why we do those things is to give people a taste, give people a picture of what Jesus is bringing when he comes to restore this world. It's one of the reasons why we invest uh, in Fairfield And if you see what the church is doing down there, they are bringing restoration to a community. And it is a taste, only a taste. It's amazing, but it's only a taste of what Jesus is going to bring one day to Fairfield. Because we believe he is going to make it the most beautiful community in the world. That Gary Avenue that runs right through the heart of Fairfield will be a street of gold. Verse 15, never again will they be uprooted. This inheritance that Jesus is bringing, think about this, is something that the economy cannot touch. It's something that you cannot lose. It is secure. It cannot be touched by sin. It cannot be touched by addiction, cancer, death, COVID-19, chronic pain, nervous breakdown, Parkinson's disease, miscarriages, infertility, depression or anxiety, nothing can touch what Jesus is bringing and what he has in store for you. Is your Jesus this big? 
Is your Jesus this big? Friends, Jesus came more than just to save you from your sins. That's amazing. We need that. But he came to deal with the fallenness and brokenness of this world. And his restoration will be abundant and physical and secure. Remember the illustration I began with? Wenton Marsalis was interrupted right at the height of his solo. And the cell phone goes off and the reporter writes down magic ruined. But here's the rest of the story. Wenton Marsalis interrupts the silence in the crowd. And he starts to play the melody of the cell phone ring. And he plays it over and over and he starts to riff off of it and he starts to improvise and he starts to change the key and he starts to take the tempo up and to take the tempo down and in a few minutes later he has woven the cell phone ring and the tone back into the original song he was playing when he was interrupted and he plays the last three notes and then he closes the song you see the magic was not ruined Because there was a master musician who took the silly ringtone, who took the chaotic ringtone, and he wove it back in to the music and made it something beautiful. That's the hope of Christmas. That's what we celebrate here this morning, is that Jesus is the master restorer. And he takes all the broken places of our lives and all of our sadness and all of the chaos and the ruin and he weaves it back through into the music, so to speak, and into his story and makes it into something beautiful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope of Christmas. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us, but also to restore all things and to make them new. May we rejoice in these promises of the gospel this morning. Forgive us for the ways that we fail to love you and love our neighbor. We thank you that Jesus forgives us of our sins. Would you bring about repentance in our lives over those things so that we might change and be more like you. Convince us this morning of your love and care for us. Give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen.